Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Leading Edge. I'm Kate Cacciatore, Head of Sustainability at Figbytes, the sustainability data management platform that connects data with purpose. Before I introduce you to my guest today, here's some context about the purpose of this podcast series and some of the questions and themes it sets out to explore. As we face major global challenges, such as the effects of climate change, biodiversity loss and social inequalities, there is growing awareness today across all stakeholder groups that business with its global clout has to do more than incrementally improve its sustainability performance. We need wholesale systems change in order to be able to shift to a net positive, regenerative, inclusive economy and society. This will require unprecedented collaborative efforts of the private and public sectors, of civil society and citizens to find new business and consumption models, innovative products and services, as well as groundbreaking policies, financing mechanisms and partnerships. This podcast invites business, sustainability, civil society and public sector leaders to share their experience on the leading edge of the sustainability transition. What motivates them to act and innovate in this space? What is their vision and how are they working towards it? And what kind of mindset shift do they think will be necessary to bring about the changes we want to see in the world? Today for this fourth episode of the podcast, it's my great pleasure to welcome Martin Locke, Executive Director of the Capitals Coalition, a multi-stakeholder initiative involving over 400 organisations across business, finance, government, science, accounting and standards, civil society and multi-stakeholder groups. The ambition of the Capitals Coalition is that by 2030, the majority of businesses, financial institutions and governments will include the value of natural capital, social capital and human capital in their decision making, and that this will deliver a fairer, just and more sustainable world. Well known for its role in spearheading the creation of the Natural Capital Protocol and Social and Human Capital Protocol, the Capitals Coalition was one of the key contributors to the COP15 process and the creation of the Global Biodiversity Framework. It sees its role as a convener and connector of different parts of the system to accelerate momentum, leverage success, connect powerful and engaged communities and identify the areas, projects and partnerships where we can collaboratively drive transformation change. Prior to his roles in the Capital, Capitals Coalition, Martin has held numerous government roles in the Netherlands, notably in the Dutch Ministry of Agriculture, Nature and Food Quality and the Ministry of Economic Affairs, where he sought to move the needle on policy issues relating to the integration of sustainability into the way we govern and do business. Martin, welcome and thank you for being my guest on the podcast and exploring together with me the leading edge of the sustainability transition. Uh, th thank you very much, Kate. And it's very nice um, from you to have me here in this uh, wonderful podcast uh, series. I'm happy to be here and also introduce the Capitals Coalition that I work for, as well as the work that we did in the context of um, COP15 and how we are trying to connect together business, finance and uh, government, three key players that are all necessary to really change uh, the course of the direction of, of the world in, into a direction that is nature positive, climate neutral, as well as uh, um, inclusive uh, um, and also social equitable. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I mean, that's a great place to start. Why don't we talk a little bit about the Capitals Coalition so that you can share a little bit more about the organization, what it's doing and your role in that in that whole process as well. Yes, so the, the Capitals Coalition is an uh, international collaboration. So we bring together over 400 organizations from business, from finance, from governments, but also standard setters, accountancy bodies, uh, um, NGOs, uh, uh, academia. Uh, so a whole range of different organizations around a joint ambition that you already uh, mentioned. We want to change the way how decisions are made by including the value of nature and people. And to support organizations how to do that, we've, we have developed the Natural Capital Protocol, the Social and Human Capital Protocol. We are now uh, starting up the process to integrate uh, those two protocols in, into an integrated uh, capitals protocol. But alongside these protocols, uh, we've also published numerous uh, guidance documents, toolkits, 
and we are convening the community to come together to discuss how can you do this in the best meaningful uh, way uh, and how can you change the conversations within your organization. I mean, it's not changing an organization if only the sustainability department is doing this. So we have to uh, reach out to the CFOs, to the designers of products and services, uh, to the managers of facilities to really um, um, make companies integrate all these uh, um, insights on the basis of valuing their impacts and dependencies on nature and people into all of the decisions the companies are taking. So that's what we are doing as Capitals uh, Coalition. Not only do we bring together the different um, uh, key uh, stakeholders within a company, but also we bring together uh, companies with their financial partners, with governments, uh, um, with, with the NGOs, uh, the, the um, uh, civil society around them, um, because that's, um, that's key to really understand what is the value of a company or of the activities of a company uh, to society and also what is the value of their impacts and dependencies uh, to, to society. I remember you telling me and reading about the work of, of the Capitals Coalition as a convener. Um, you've mentioned the tools and um, the, the frameworks which sort of help bring people together with a common understanding. And I, I remember from our conversations also that um, there is also this consideration about um, involving not just uh, the pioneers um, among the different communities that you've mentioned, but also being able to reach a wider audience and involve them in some of these discussions, because um, very often the most um, ambitious and sort of progressive companies or governments might be involved, uh, all of those stakeholders that you mentioned. Um, but I, I, I believe you're also seeking to reach out to that wider group of organizations like the small and medium sized enterprises and companies and stakeholders who might not have the same perspective as some of the most progressive companies. Is that right? That's that's more than right. And um, uh, of course, we are very happy in the uh, in the collaboration with uh, many front runners that really have changed the way how companies see see value. So, for example, one of our partners from a long time uh, back already is uh, the French uh, luxury uh, business uh, occurring, who holds uh, many of the luxury um, brands uh, from from French industry, and they have been uh, spearheading. They have really been front running in changing how you can integrate the value of nature and uh, nowadays also people into your decision making. Uh, this started with uh, Puma, who used to be part of their uh, organization that published the first uh, environmental uh, profit and loss account, which was a great, uh, a great example. Uh, but it's good to work with those front runners, uh, and that helps us to understand how can we do this better. But at the same time, we all know that if we want to achieve our overall game, uh, sorry, our overall um, uh, objective, which is to um, uh, to include uh, the value of nature and people into the decision of the majority of business finance and, uh, uh, and government. Uh, if we want to achieve that, we need people to follow the leaders. And uh, um, it is, uh, in, in a way, it's more difficult to make people follow leaders than sometimes to create leaders. Uh, um, and especially if we want to, to get to the numbers that we need for our own ambition, this is what we need, uh, need to do. So we, uh, that's why we convene uh, um, uh, meetings where we bring together people, we invite them, we, we want to be as open as possible as the Capitals uh, a Coalition. So there's no, we, we don't ask uh, um, a, a, a financial contribution to people who are part of our uh, our network. Uh, um, that's not that's not the first kind of question and discussion that we have for them. We open them. Please join us in our conversations, in our meetings, share your experiences, start learning from what others are doing, emulate it. And uh, um, here are the tools that you can use to uh, to also start your own journey and your own uh, learning in, in, in that respect. So I think that is a, a key uh, thing. And, um, and it, 
of course, also for SMEs and for uh, if you compare an SME with, with a corporate, a corporate usually uh, uh, has a sustainability department or um, the, the sustainability responsibility is set in, in one of the other apartment, departments, but they have several uh, uh, people dealing with this. They have a budget uh, to, to do research and a lot of the SMEs, let alone the smaller companies, they don't have that opportunity. So they need different uh, tools and approaches. And uh, um, uh, that's also uh, one of the things that we are looking at. How can we uh, support that? Uh, uh, how can, what is the experience of other SMEs? How can we share those experiences? Uh, for example, through sharing some of the case studies that they've, um, uh, they, they have done. And uh, in this way, we are working to build up the community that has applied uh, uh, the different uh, uh, capitals approaches that we are working uh, with. Wonderful. Yeah. So it's a source of inspiration, opening one's own perspectives to hear the perspectives of others, getting access to tools and resources and supports and generating that momentum of collaboration. It's a wonderful mix. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is uh, always uh, the best way to learn things, uh, uh, I think, is to Practice yourself, but also doing it in company with others uh, is kind of creating, uh, is, is hiring the level of fun in your own learning experience. And that that is important uh, yeah. because if it's no fun, uh, uh, then, then you won't progress that fast. Yeah, I'm glad you said that, actually, because I often think about the importance. We can get very serious in this whole space about sustainability and feel like the weight of the world is on our shoulders and, and rightly so in some ways. But you're absolutely right. Unless we feel that fun and that connection with other people to create something that we believe in, then uh, we're missing something, I think. So let's talk a little bit about your background and your career, because it's a very interesting one. Um, so you spent several decades, I believe, working in government and um, you've had some very interesting experiences there. And you then made the decision to move to civil society. So it would be really interesting to hear about that journey and why you made that decision and, you know, what. Um, what your experience has been from moving from a policy dimension of sustainability in business and government to um, this multi-stakeholder space? Yeah, th th thank you for this question. And it, it is interesting, of course, uh, also for me, although at the same time, I used to work for government for over 30 years and now I'm working in a different organization. But to me, in, in a certain way, it is very comparable. While at the same time, yes, it is different, uh, uh, but I'm still Martin. I'm still working on topics that I really like, uh, focusing on sustainability. I've worked on sustainability uh, throughout the whole career in uh, uh, in government as well. And uh, so I shift a little bit the perspective, uh, um, but the topics I'm working on are still quite quite similar. So that that kind of raises, of course, the question, but why did you move? <laughs> Because if it's still st still the same thing, what what made made the difference? And uh, well, when I worked in government, uh, um, I started my career uh, working on um, environment uh, strategy. Uh, so I was a member of uh, two uh, project teams uh, creating um, strategic environmental policy uh, programs in the Netherlands. So this is back in the 90s. So that's already quite quite a while ago. Then I moved to uh, to the nature department in the Ministry of Agriculture, Nature and Food Quality, uh, working on strategic nature policy, biodiversity uh, uh, policy. And I uh, gradually um, uh, increased uh, uh, my focus on the link between key sectors of society, business finance being, uh, of course, uh, uh, key there, um, together with, uh, uh, with policymakers and with civil society. And I always wondered, how do you what, what is needed to get business move in a direction that is more sustainable and uh, um, I'm uh, throughout my professional career interested in this question what makes them move and I'm firmly believe is what makes people move is uh, if there's an interest to them and if they believe in it themselves so uh, yes if you're working for a government you can regulate you can say you must do this 
but it goes a lot faster if people believe that it's in their best interest. Uh, so that's I I always focus on this um, this link between uh, business and and policy. And uh, what I also what I noticed over the 30 years was that when I started my policy career, it was the end of a kind of a period where uh, governments really um, were ahead of the game. They were leading the pack on sustainability. Uh, providing the direction, especially in the Netherlands. We've had uh, marvelous uh, um, environment ministers that really created an environmental policy that kind of uh, shifted the direction in society. But uh, gradually, the leadership from government kind of faded away. I don't know, maybe that's not the right word to use for it, but but it became less and less. And what I saw in the around 2000. 2015 was more and more that it were um, uh, leaders from the private sector that were kind of ahead of the game and were pointing at the right direction. And so at that time, I started to think, well, maybe I should move over because they are running a little bit faster. And I think that's the the interesting place to be. And I started to become involved in natural capital. Uh, uh, being um, an, 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 a funder from the Dutch uh, government perspective. So I started to fund projects and I really got excited about that. And then at a certain moment in time, I decided, well, let's uh, hop over and uh, join the other pack um, and then continue on the same topic uh, in the same field, but work on this uh, not from the policy side, but from the private sector side. And let's see how we can uh, make the system as a whole go a little bit faster then. Fascinating. And um, it, it seems to me also, I think okay. in some of the conversations we've had before that um, over the years, one of the things is a very subtle dimension that could perhaps go unnoticed. But you've, you've spoken about this um, I guess it's a, a, a mindset of insular thinking that can, is, is quite typical, right? We're all in whatever role we happen to be, whatever sector we happen to be, and we see things very much from that perspective. And it's quite hard to imagine that somebody's, somebody else's perspective could be completely different. And so it would be lovely to hear more about your experience of that um, reflection on the importance of becoming aware of one's own perspectives and then being able to shift and see things from multiple perspectives in order to find solutions. Let, let, let me give, give an example on this because everyone, whether it's about policy, business and finance, uh, um, uh, or it's about uh, um, biodiversity organizations versus the private sector, uh, everyone is living in its own bubble. And uh, uh, it is, of course, I mean, many people like you, me, we try to be open and go and think also outside of our bubble. But I think it's, I mean, that re, it is difficult to leave behind your own rucksack of ideas and, and, and thoughts. And uh, so a very good example where uh, someone entered a room and a conversation and just made it very clear my rucksack is different than yours uh, was a session i worked still for the netherlands at that time and we organized a meeting between um uh, biodiversity uh, um, uh, organizations uh, together with um, a sustainability lead from one of the major banks in the netherlands and the first thing what he said when he took the stage was i'm from a bank I think money, so we are going to discuss nature in terms of money, whether you like it or not. If you don't like it, go away, be my be my guest. But if you want to get my attention, we have to talk money. And that to me, that was a very um, a clear a signal uh, that he was giving uh, that um, you need to be aware of the language and the concepts that other people are using if you want to collaborate. And uh, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't change. So it, it was in a certain way, of course, a kind of a black and white uh, um, uh, conversation starter that he uh, that he used. Of course, you need to be open and also change your own uh, uh, concepts. But especially if you want to get the attention of someone else and you really need him or her. Uh, so in a company, if you want to get the attention from the financial 
uh, a part of the company on sustainability, you have to translate sustainability into the concepts that they understand and, uh, uh, and use. So that's why we started to use back in the days natural capital as a kind of a concept to make it more relevant uh, uh, to, uh, to them. And that's also why it, working in the ministry, the, my last five to 10 years, I uh, said a lot of times, the most important biodiversity policy is not nature policy, but it's financial policy, it's agricultural policy. So we have to shift away from the regular concepts that are kind of guiding the silos. Fascinating. So really uh, the capacity to immerse ourselves in the reality, the perceived reality of those other stakeholders and somehow create a common space, a common language. And I guess it's also critical in, in those situations to create trust and um, ensure that the other party or parties know that they're being heard and that their perspective is being listened to. Yeah, and it's, I, I would argue it's, it's even more. I mean, it's the best way to create trust is to give it away. Mm. So, so if, if you talk with, um, um, uh, if you're a biodiversity organization, you're talking with business, you want business to take into account impacts and dependencies on nature, then uh, um, uh, if you start uh, with a conversation that you say, well, you're doing all these bad things for nature and I don't think you're, you're, you have the right uh, mindset uh, uh, to change, then you will have a very different conversation. Then, for example, if you say, well, I see you're a company, you want to provide goods and services that are good for people. And I mean, it's not your aim to destroy nature, uh, but you want to create a better world. I believe that you want to improve yourself. What are your ideas about what is the best way forward to, to improve the your relationship with nature? So so you, the trust is that, yes, they will do the good, uh, uh, the good thing. And then, I mean, that doesn't mean that you should shut your eyes for um, the, the, the bad things that are also happening. Uh, and you should make them uh, uh, clear and uh, put them on the table and have a fair conversation about it. But if you not first give trust, yes, I think you want to do the right thing, uh, uh, then it's very difficult to also get the other to trust you. And uh, so that's why usually I always start with giving the trust to others and then uh, um, uh, together work on what do we need to uh, further develop and uh, strengthen the trust uh, through that. It's a fundamental point, absolutely. And it, it's a nice bridge to um, talking about the COP15 process, because obviously that was a, a huge milestone at the end of last year in December in Montreal. And um, the agreement that was signed and the global biodiversity framework that was created, um, it would be wonderful to hear you've been deeply involved in this for a long time and um, it would be wonderful to hear your perspective on how you experienced it, um, what you see as the most significant aspects of it and um, you know whatever you'd like to share about how that um, how things are changing as a result. Yeah I mean where to start I would say because indeed yeah. it is a long process and uh, so for those uh, who are listening that are not aware of the, uh, the the CBD process, the Convention on Biological Diversity. Uh, this is the UN process to uh, to guide the world uh, um, to to live in harmony with nature. And um, there have been an, an agreement with many targets that governments had agreed upon in 2010. And uh, the majority of those targets were not met. Uh, only one uh, was was met. And the uh, my and I think many people kind of came to the conclusion, well, what a, a very important uh, uh, reason why many of these targets are not met is that they have been set by the conservation community in the world, consisting of uh, NGOs, but also, of course, policymakers focusing on, uh, on nature uh, um, with academic underpinning 
all the good things that you need to set targets were there, but there was there wasn't the ownership that is needed from many of uh, many other key stakeholders, including business. And so the, the the one of the key elements and questions in the CBD always has been how can you and they use the word mainstreaming. How can you mainstream biodiversity into what others are doing? How can you integrate uh, it? And how can you make biodiversity a business issue? That's if I focus it on business. It's kind of what the CBD uh, had uh, had been looking for already a long time. And um, then the decision was made, well, we need a new framework. We need new targets for 2020. And for several reasons, mainly COVID, it became 2022 uh, before we reached reach an agreement. Uh, but so that's the broader context of this uh, discussion. And then the uh, Capitals Coalition, we are supporting businesses, working with business to create the frameworks to include the value of nature into their decision uh, making. Uh, we host all those conversations, but we also see the necessity to change the rules of the game, so change policies and incentives. Uh, but we are not the kind of organization that is lobbying themselves. We, we, we are not a very strong advocacy organization just by ourselves. But what we decided to do with a couple of other partners, including WWF and later also WBCSD, World Economic Forum, many others, was that we wanted to convene the business community to create one business voice to advocate for ambitious outcomes of this negotiation process of the UN for new targets on nature. Uh, uh, the formal name, the post-2020 Global Biodiversity Framework on Nature. So that's that's th that was the package and uh, we wanted to create one business force. So in 2019, we started to work on that and we had a model, uh, an, an example where it had worked very well. That this was the We Mean Business, is a business uh, coalition that's bringing together business that advocated for um, ambitious climate change policies in Paris. So we worked with them, we learned from them, what should we do? And uh, so we brought this together. We started um, uh, with a couple of organizations. Uh, we also brought in, of course, a lot of the companies and asked them, are you interested to be part of this? We want to be your, uh, your voice. Um, and that started to grow. We are now over 70, 75 organizations that are supporting business. So these are business organizations like Capitals Coalition, World Economic Forum, WBCSD and others, or uh, um, uh, NGOs, uh, uh, IUCN, WWF, who have a really strong uh, collaboration with uh, with business that constitutes Business for Nature, together with all the companies that uh, that work for us. And in the running up to Montreal, uh, there were three uh, campaigns that we that we created uh, alongside the, uh, the, the the practical. Uh, work on policy recommendations that we could feed into all the different elements of the post-2020 Global Biodiversity Framework, which is just a document with 21 targets and a lot of text. And well, you want to create change there. And but so three campaigns. The first one was that we had a call to action over 1000 uh, companies saying, yes, nature is part of uh, my business. Nature is a business issue and we call governments to be ambitious uh, uh, in this new framework. Uh, um, so th this was the first thing uh, uh, we did. And then the second uh, um, campaign that we launched was around the incentives. So we th th there was research showing that 1.8 trillion US dollars in, in the world is spent by governments on uh, um, uh, incentives, subsidies, tax, uh, uh, tax measures, uh, uh, other kinds of uh, uh, investments by government that are not promoting a nature positive outcome, but are working in the other way. Uh, so they are bad for nature. And so we run a campaign uh, um, uh, on that. And uh, the, the third campaign uh, was all around the need to make it mandatory to uh, for companies uh, and financial organizations to assess and disclose their impacts and dependencies. Front runners are doing it, but it's it's not uh, becoming the new normal for many uh, for, for for all companies. And in order to change that, we need requirements. We need uh, uh, action from government. So that was the 
a third campaign we, we were running. And um, uh, in, in parallel to that, we also uh, collaborated with the conservation community um, around the need to have a unifying target, a unifying goal that um, uh, that we could use for society to rally behind, to uh, to collaborate together on uh, taking uh, the action that is needed uh, for, for for biodiversity. And so we compared with climate change. In climate change, the world is relatively simple. You have the 1.5 degree aim that we all want. Let let temperature not rise too much. And what is needed for that is no more uh, CO2 emissions. We all know that. For nature, the picture is much more uh, difficult. So that's why we um, we advocated for having a nature positive uh, um, uh, uh, goal. Uh, um, uh, uh, more nature in 2030 than we have in 2020. So that's a more simple, uh, simple storyline. And the conservation community, together with business organizations, agreed this would this needs to be the uh, the unifying goal for um, uh, for nature. So that was yet yet another uh, campaign. And at the end, uh, as Capitals Coalition, we also we, we were as many of the businesses amazed that two weeks, one week before the deadline of agreeing on an, an, a new uh, biodiversity um, uh, agreement. There were still over 1,800 brackets in the text. So at the brackets is just uh, uh, it's brackets around the text where one of the 189 countries says, "Well, I don't agree with that. Let's not put it in the text." So and there were 1,800 of these brackets uh, uh, in the text, and uh, the process was going so slow. So we we run a campaign to remove the brackets, uh, get rid of the brackets, uh, break the brackets. Uh, this is really what we need. And uh, so in all these campaigns help to build up the momentum. And when we arrived in uh, in Montreal, um, we arrived with over 700 representatives from business and finance that came along with Business for Nature, Capitals Coalition and the others to um, uh, uh, to discuss with the negotiators uh, to provide them with the confidence, yes, we want, we need an ambitious outcome. And th this factor alone, so over 700 organizations, in total there were over 1,000 uh, private sector representatives. Uh, we brought 700, so the, the bigger portion of that, but not, not all, of course. And uh, there were around 14,000 negotiators in total. So, and never before so many people from the private sector came to a nature negotiation and it really it shifted the, the the debate it shifted the atmosphere there was so much going on outside the official uh, negotiation rooms that was visible to the partners and uh, um, we were able to say uh, for example in one of the key negotiations on target 15 which is on the the need the, the requirements uh, to uh, assess impacts and dependencies in, in that negotiation when uh, governments were still thinking, well, are we going to do this? Are we not going to do this? What is necessary? What does the business community need? They called upon uh, the, the experts in the room. So uh, Eva Zabay from Business for Nature, the, uh, uh, the executive director, she clearly stated, uh, we are here with, with over 700 people and um, what we need is an ambitious target and we need it to become mandatory and please have the courage to do so. And that shifted this this element of, of the discussion, but it also I think it is the, the perfect illustration that bringing a mass of people to a negotiation, just the mass shows, yes, it's important to us. And, and that's what we created with uh, 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 our partners and uh, business for nature in the run-up to COP15 it makes me enthusiastic again and again when I think it over because uh, it's also I think what the CBD and the conservation community was looking for mainstreaming they wanted to integrate uh, um, uh, biodiversity into the decisions of uh, of other sectors and if you want to do that the first thing you need to do is you have to get it into their hearts and and I think 700 people traveling to Montreal 
um, shows that this is what over the years we have been able to do. I, I, I really you know, want to thank you for sharing that because um, obviously when <laughs> people who are not at Montreal look in the papers and read the articles it's very hard to know you know what actually happened and you've shared with us the spirit there and i think it's incredibly encouraging that very often we feel discouraged because the mountain seems so tall and so hard to climb and um things slip and it's it's hard to imagine things changing the way we know they need to and here's an example of just by being part of something just by showing up just by uh, having the courage to speak and say what one believes in and what to represent the views of the organizations we we all work for it it's hugely powerful and it does there are these moments of quantum quantum leaps right where we suddenly the the game changes and it, the the narrative shifts yeah that, that uh, certainly that that's true and i th i think one of the uh, tricks, maybe not a good word here, but but a very important element in um, in the effectiveness of uh, the business community to, towards uh, Montreal, I think, is the choice we made. And it is a choice that as the business community, we will only advocate for things that are creating higher ambitions. So we we never went into a discussion where we asked governments, oh, please, you're going too fast lower the ambition a little bit. We never did that. We only asked them to hire the ambition. Uh, um, a little bit earlier before Montreal, one of the um, uh, the leaders within the CBD secretariat, after a discussion in the negotiation room, even came to us and thanked us for being, well, you're more ambitious than, than, than countries. This is incredible. And uh, um, I think this is this has been valued very much by a lot of the negotiators, as well as by the the UN Secretariat that's kind of guiding uh, guiding the CBD. Uh, and and it made the difference because uh, if the lobby from business is as it is, let's be real. In many cases, the lobby of business is say, oh, go a little bit slower. Uh, um, uh, then it will not have the same impact. And so, but we, we could say, go faster. We think it's needed. Uh, um, you have our support. We will work with you. A lot of businesses in Montreal even said in public discussions, no matter what's the outcome of, uh, 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 of this negotiation, we will start implementing the key things we are lobbying for here because we believe in it because it's necessary and because it's good for business. So that's, uh, I think that's also part of the, the power behind it. Absolutely. So I think one, one of the key things that I take away at least is that um, the level playing field is a big deal because what it means is companies who are ready to sort of channel their energy into um, achieving goals for nature and becoming nature positive uh, with all the other sustainability considerations um, won't have to compete with other organizations who aren't doing that. Ultimately, that's what we're working towards. And I wonder, perhaps you could say a few words about the implications for business, because obviously it's going to take some time for all of this to pan out. But the the upshot of it is that there will be legislation and companies will need to disclose and to disclose they will have to implement. Um, what, what would you say to companies who are thinking, wow, OK, we, we, we really support this. We know this is important. We've we've it's going to be a challenge. Where do we start? What do we do? What would be the um, words of advice and um, guidance that you and Capitals Coalition are offering to companies who know they have to roll up their sleeves now and start looking at this? Yeah, so let me first go, uh, if you allow me, one step back on the level playing field and why it's so important, not only for companies, but also for, uh, for society as a whole, uh, um, uh, including consumers as well as indigenous people. And in this, the CBD negotiations, the people element uh, um, uh, was a very important uh, part of the discussion. Uh, the indigenous communities that hold 80% of the biodiversity, but do not earn a lot of money out of that. 
uh, the uh, moving money from the north to the south uh, in the political kind of dimension around the CBD. And it's a little bit going beyond what we are discussing here, of course, but that's also a key element there. And that goes back to the level playing field that we try to create through this target 50 that is now agreed on the assessing and disclosing impacts and dependencies. And so if all companies have to do that, that means that all companies disclose information on what they are impacting uh, um, uh, uh, on biodiversity. That means that consumers have information on if they buy a product or they buy a service, they can find the information that is related to the impacts and dependencies of, uh, 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 of the business that they choose to, um, uh, to buy from, uh, to work with. And uh, and this will help them to make a better informed decision if they also want to fully take nature into account as a consumer. And likewise, the indigenous communities that sometimes live in areas where business come in and they do their business in a way that is impactful in a negative way uh, for, for those indigenous communities, because businesses have to disclose it, they get the information they need. If they want to take legal action against businesses, they can do that because the information is there. So that's an important element in creating the level playing field and that we also uh, shared with the negotiators that that's one of the reasons why we are advocating for it because we think uh, consumers as well as indigenous people have the right to the best information that needs to be out there on the impacts and, and the dependencies of what the companies uh, and the financial organizations are doing. So that's on, on, on the level playing field. Then um, uh, what can uh, businesses, wh what should you do now? And uh, of course, the, the agreement in, in, um, in Montreal was that uh, governments now by 2030, so that's it's 2023 now, so seven years, um, they have to require the, uh, the that that um, uh, large and transnational um, uh, companies and financial organizations assess and disclose their impacts and dependencies. So you, uh, you could think, okay, that's over seven years. Let's do nothing. Uh, I don't think that's that that that's a smart idea. Uh, um, uh, also, because the frameworks and the tools that you can use are already there. Uh, um, yes, we will further improve them, uh, um, uh, but the front runners already are implementing it and they show that what we have now uh, on the shelves already is good enough to, to start implementing it. And so there are a couple of key building blocks there, I think. Uh, uh, one is we, we discussed the natural capital protocol that sets the overall framework, uh, uh, how to um, measure and value your impacts and dependencies uh, has been tested already by thousands of companies and use. So that's, that's, that's already um, uh, there. Then there's the science-based targets um, uh, network that is now developing uh, uh, also, the guidance for companies how to to set uh, uh, science-based targets on nature uh, as a company. And uh, uh, these uh, um, uh, in March there will be a new uh, publication from uh, from this network uh, uh, that provides the guidance for companies to set a target. And I think that's important because it's good to assess uh, and understand your own impacts and dependencies. Yeah. But in order to start moving, you need to find your direction. And so to, to have science-based targets comparable to the science-based targets that, that are used in, uh, in, in the climate uh, sphere uh, for nature is hugely important. So, so that will be there in, in March uh, um, for companies to use. And, and then uh, on the disclosure bit, uh, um, of course, companies need to understand, but what do I disclose and what are the metrics? What are the tools that I can use? That, uh, for that, there's the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosure uh, that already have put out uh, first uh, um, uh, draft versions of their guidance. They will come with an updated version uh, in March uh, also. And uh, so those three uh, uh, elements together, the Natural Capital Protocol, Science-Based Targets uh, Network Guidance and the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosure Network, they are interconnected. So both SBTN 
as well as TNFD, they build their guidance on the basis of the natural capital um, uh, protocol. And uh, together with all these uh, these three key elements, there is a bunch of uh, uh, toolkits available, uh, more specific guidance documents for 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 sectors, uh, um, and those can be used by by companies. So, what companies should do if they haven't done an assessment uh, uh, yet? They start. They need to start diving into that and understand. Okay, how can I start using these tools uh, um, and give it a try for the first time? And and a very good first step is also uh, to um, uh, if you're working in that company and you are the CFO uh, um, to say to keep people within your organization. Uh, uh, please take the um, uh, uh, the course that Capitals Coalition provided online through the Coursera uh, uh, platform on valuing uh, uh, impacts and dependencies. Uh, uh, this course is freely available. It helps you to understand all of the steps of the natural capital and the social human capital protocol. Uh, um, it provides uh, uh, testimonials from companies that already have done it, that, sh that share their uh, um, experiences uh, on this, and it's a perfect way to get introduced to what you need to do uh, uh, if it's totally new uh, to you or if you're beginning and you want to learn a little bit more. Right, exactly, and we'll include the links um, to to that um, like course that people can access, that free course, which is a really great resource out there. Um, and I guess, um, you know, going back a little bit to what we were saying before, so much of what of the intention here is to be able to provide the the information, the data, the understanding um, to be able to take more informed decisions across companies. And I think that's worth stressing, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, it's not just about ticking the box and sort of making the disclosure and doing the right thing from a compliance perspective. It's about thinking how as we we as an organization need to um, take a different perspective that integrates those different capitals, which ultimately form part of a single thing. So there are there's the climate dimension, there's the nature dimension, which includes water as well, which is another big theme. And then there are the social aspects and they're all interrelated and we can't understand one without seeing all of them and how they come together. Um, so I guess it's not just about doing things, it's about thinking differently. Would you agree? Yeah, and and it's about doing differently. Yeah. So so it is. Uh, um. And, and I mean, sometimes I have the feeling that the the focus is too strongly on disclosure, uh, because disclosure is it's just sharing with the world. Well, this is the situation. That's not changing it, is it? Uh, um. Uh, so what what you ultimately need to do is you have to change your decisions. You have to change the things you're doing. And uh, so we, um, uh, the, the last year we, we developed together with WBC, uh, BCSD, WEF, uh, um, SBTN, TNFD, a couple of others, uh, what we now call the ACT-D framework. We align the language that we are using. And uh, because we all have four or five steps that are more or less the same, or we, we had four or five steps, and but the language was different, so that confused people. Uh, and they thought those are totally different things. Which one do I need to choose? While we always said, well, you have to do all of them, but they are aligned. And so we we created this, uh, what we call now ACT-D framework, which says there are four major steps to take to become a, to, 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 to support society in a nature positive direction. You have to assess your impacts and dependencies. Well, we've talked about that a lot. You have to commit to science-based targets to get the direction. And then you have to transform the way you do business. So this T is the key bit. Uh, uh, that's what you ultimately have to do. And then on the assessment, on the commitments, on what you're doing to transform, you can decide to disclose that, to share that with the outer world. So that's ACT-D, assess, commit, transform, uh, and disclose. The transform bit at the end is the only thing which will make, which will create change in uh, in in the actual world. Uh, um, and I think that's that's very very important. And that's also why in the protocol, 
the pro the, that starts with the question, what is the, the decision you want to inform? It, the protocol doesn't start with the question, what do you want to disclose to the world? Uh, it starts with the question, what is the decision that you want to inform? Do you want to create a new factory and you want to ensure that it takes into account the value of nature and people? Uh, um, uh, do you want to include nature and people in your overall balance sheet? So what is the decision you want to inform? That's the key question and that links to what are you going to do? Yeah, and I think um, it's so helpful to have this guidance and advice and it also gives hope to those people working across in many different um, functions and parts of a company at whatever level that everyone can contribute to this and um, it's obviously important that top management set the tone and create the framework and the conditions for people to contribute but it's a wonderful opportunity to co-create um, and transform the way we act um, in, in organizations. Um, Martin, before we finish, um, we've covered a lot of ground today. It would be lovely to hear, you know, what's your vision? What are you ultimately hoping to see and what, what what's motivating you in that direction? Yes. I mean, it's uh, um, uh, one of the things I did in my personal life was also I, I studied the history of art. And uh, uh, I started to do that because I love a beautiful painting and especially I love beautiful sculpture if I see it and I wanted to know more about it so I uh, I did uh, a second university degree on uh, the history of arts uh, alongside uh, my professional career and one of the concepts which is key in, in, in the renaissance period is this concept of the universal man Womo Universale like Leonardo da Vinci or Michelangelo and um, what I would like to see ultimately is that we have more of those universal uh, uh, people uh, when it comes to um, to decision making. So that that if a person takes a decision, the decision is fully inclusive. And um, uh, so that to me is kind of a modern representative of the uno. Uh, the Womo Universale, that's bringing everything uh, uh, um, uh, together. And uh, um, when I say people, myself as a consumer, I, I would love to be in a store and then uh, um, uh, take a decision where I'm fully aware of what are the consequences of that decision for, for people and uh, um, uh, nature. And now, I mean, the, the the, the, the way I kind of maneuver in that is by selecting the stores where I go when I when I buy something. Uh, but you you would like to have a little bit more information in a practical way as a consumer, and so this is one one of the examples. But but it's the the um, the inclusive decision maker in every kind of aspect of life and professional. Uh, 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 organizations that that is my aspiration in uh, for for the future very powerful and very inspiring and and practical as well because it's something we can all all take a moment uh train ourselves to stop and think before we act and just um take a mental view of the different perspective different aspects and impacts of all of our decisions so thank you so much, Martin. This was a wonderful discussion and um, I look forward to following all the work of the Capitals Coalition and how the integrated Capitals Protocol is going to develop later this year and uh, all the other wonderful programmes that you and your colleagues are leading. So thank you for everything you do and for discussing with us today. Thank you, Kate. It was my pleasure and uh, success with the follow-up of this podcast and the many others. Hope that are hopefully following it. Thank you so much.